This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 ESPN. Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. And this hour is being brought to you by the many, many members of the Fresno Association of Realtors. And we have a couple of them here today to help us with this. And what we want to do is find out as much about local real estate as possible so that buyers, sellers, and homeowners, in other words, those who aren't making a move, still maintain their proper property and make all the right moves. So sometimes buying and selling is not the right move for you. Um, but, but with good information that you get from the over 4,000 realtors that are members and the other uh, approximately 1,000 affiliate members, which affiliates would be your uh, lenders, your pest inspectors, all that. We're going to come up with some really good information. So I want to tell you who we have here in the studio today to help us with that. First, we have Marisol Espinoza. I know I, I'm working on my pronunciation of that. Um, <laughs> now you said it right. <laughs> oh, I did. Okay, yes. good. I normally I would say Marisol. Yes. Okay, that works too. Yes, that <laughs> <Okay>. works too. <laughs> and she's with Western Pioneer Financial, and also Scott Handley from Western Pioneer Financial. But the two of you have different roles over there. So, tell me what you guys do. Yes, we're happy to be here, Don. Thanks for having us first and foremost. Uh, myself, I am the owner and operator of Western Pioneer Financial and Properties. We would be considered a multifaceted company where we're a real estate brokerage, we're a direct mortgage banker, and we also buy and sell houses in Fresno and the Central Valley. And that's something I want to get into, the buying and selling, because I recently watched my first episode of Flip and Flop, and um, so I want to get more information from you. Absolutely. <laughs> Find out, is that really for real on there? Well, uh, Flip and Flop, actually, it was one of the first programs that was good where it showed some of the, the dark side of flipping as well. Because during the 2004-2006 era, um, it showed programs, flip this house, flip that house, flip in Vegas. And it just showed the glorified aspect of flipping. So Flip and Flop, the show that you mentioned, actually shows some of the dark side and um, some of the downfalls and pitfalls and some of the things that investors such as myself run into when renovating property. When you speak of the dark side, that reminds me, I bought a flip house back in 2006. And when my son was 18 years old, I convinced him to go in partners with me. And he goes, well, what's in it for me? And so I laid out the plan. He liked that number that I thought we were going to make. And he goes, I'm in, I'm in. I said, but I want you to know things may not go as planned. And if this happens and that happens and we lose money, and he goes, he looks at me at 18 years old and says, uh, humor me. What happens then? <laughs> it's like, well, I'll tell you what, I'll cover the losses on this first one, being it's your first flip. <laughs> right. So are you guys still flipping? <laughs> No, <laughs> no, it's not that easy. Um, okay, and then Marisol, what do you do over there at Western Pioneer? Well, first of all, thank you, Don, for having us. Um, I am actually a, a mortgage loan officer with Western Pioneer. I've been doing it um, since 2016, and I just 
love being a loan officer there. I'm in, uh, you know, an office with good people, and I I feel like I'm at home now. <laughs> it took me a while to find somewhere yeah. where I felt comfortable with, you know, the people, and finally I found like yeah. a good company. So you're there with a lot of good people. Plus, yes. Scott's there too. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, teamwork makes the dreams work. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. So let's talk about flipping now. So there's a dark side. It, it, and by the way, flip home flippers are in the news right now because there's that situation going on up in Oakland where some homeless mothers moved into a home that was owned by a corporation that is flipping a home. And they're claiming they have a right to the home because it's their human right. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's rich versus poor is how this story is coming out. But are all flippers mega corporations? No. A lot of the flippers, especially as of lately, are usually mom and pop type operations or just single investors out there. So um, I did touch up a little bit on that story, and I am compassionate to some of the uh, mothers involved um, that have taken possession of the property. Uh, When they sit in a property illegally, they're known as squatters. And for major corporations, that might be a different corporation, but for someone like myself, when I'm investing my money and my time and my expertise into a home, and there is a squatter, it just makes it more difficult because the financial responsibility falls on myself, such as the investor, and then if there is resistance for them to leave, then we have to go through the unlawful detainer process through the courts, and that could take some time and and you know efforts throughout the day for you to to finally get them removed from the property right plus i would assume as a human you have rights too right uh, you know as you're an the investor, guy that worked for it exactly yeah so um it is a difficult situation but for someone like myself i do see that uh, we have the right as well to take back and control of the property that we do purchase mm-hmm. all right so you talk about the dark side what what are some of those? Well, you mentioned earlier, Don, about some of those flip shows. And don't get me wrong, a lot of those shows are, are good and they give you a good overview on how to flip a house. But keep in mind, some of these shows are out there for ratings, for sensation and entertainment. So they're not always showing the bottom line. Some of these shows will actually show the, the net profit at the end, but they're not telling the whole truth because like any investment, there is risk for your return. Um, again, on the profits that they show on these, these, the potential profits that they show on these shows don't always include some of the small details, such as when you're purchasing the property, there's oftentimes closing costs that you as a buyer pay for. And then on the exit, when you are selling the property, uh, you might have to pay for closing costs when selling the property, especially in lower income neighborhoods where they may need that assistance of closing costs. Furthermore, they don't talk about real estate commissions or holding costs and things of that nature. And more times than not, flippers and investors do bring in what is called hard money or private money. And you have to pay for that money when you are are purchasing the property. Okay. Um, In other words, the the holding costs can be pretty high. They can be. Yes, they can be. Not to mention, you know, if the cost of lumber and materials goes up, you have to... You have to adjust for that within your budget. And 
nine times out of ten when you are remodeling a property there are going to be surprises there are going to be things that you didn't expect once you start opening up walls and looking into the plumbing and different aspects of it that you just didn't budget for those things so you just got to be very careful when you're doing your analysis on the property as far as your holding cost and your rehab cost that house that i flipped back in 2006 the thing that cost me was the roof i'm I thought it was a good good enough roof to get a two-year roof cert. And when the roofer ended up telling me, ah, two years at most, I thought that you can't sell a flip house. It's all sparkling with a roof that's going to go bad in two years. So I ended up putting a new roof on there, and there went a lot of the profits. And my 18-year-old son was upset. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, we've encountered that with uh, you know some of the composition roofs. If they have two or three layers on them, they won't pass an FHA loan. And um, there are times where, you know, when selling the property, a pest inspector might find some some dry rot or some subterranean termites, which would call for a fumigation, and that could be another fifteen hundred, seventeen hundred bucks out of your pocket that you didn't realize. So when you purchase, do you do all the inspections first? Yes, we try to, but not in all cases. For instance, if you are purchasing at trustee sale, you are doing a lot of blind bidding. Oftentimes, we just can make that call on what the exterior looks like. We look for the, the major issues, such as the roof, or does it need uh, upgraded dual pane windows? How's the AC? But um, we try to do our due, dil due diligence as much as possible, but... Um, in certain aspects of the purchasing, you don't always have that luxury. I got you. So what do you see flippers? I, I, are they doing anything for the community? Because they are rebuilding houses. I'm a firm believer that flipping or what we call remodeling property uh, has, a, has a huge effect on communities. When we go in and take a property and we remodel it, it brings up the neighborhood value. And oftentimes we are having neighbors knocking on the door saying, hey, you guys did a great job. This was an eyesore to our block. Thank you so much. They're shaking our hands and saying, hey, great job. Now, you know, this uh, home is sparkling and it actually motivates neighbors and the, the block to, to start rehabbing their house. Oftentimes we put on, put on a new roof and next thing you know, we see uh, the neighbor putting on a new roof. So mm -hmm. um, it helps in that aspect of the community. And I'd like to say something because you might be too humble to say it yourself. But so I'm going to say it for you and the other f people that are out there flipping properties. The state of California used to have a thing called the redevelopment agency where you could take a blighted home and go to them and they would give funds and the ability to an owner to to fix it up. Well, that's the funds aren't there anymore. That dried up. So there is no more redevelopment agency. But yet private enterprise flippers mm -hmm. have come in and they're doing what the redevelopment agency used to do, but doing it privately. And that's our economy at work. Right. A absolutely. I mean, not only are we doing some neighborhood revitalization, but what it does is it syndicates a lot more to it. For instance, when a roofer or someone is changing in their windows, we let them put their stake sign in the front lawn. And they're getting business from that. So next thing you know, they got two or three jobs from neighbors, and that's just cycling in the community. Furthermore, when house values go up, you know, possible property taxes go up. So what that's doing is it's funding the schools, the fire department, the police department. So there's 
a lot of uh, good things I feel that remodeling a home does to our communities. Excellent point. And it's creating an opportunity for first-time home buyers. And we're going to get into that in our next segment because we're going to be talking more about the lending part of this. So stay mm -hmm. tuned to Welcome Home Radio on 940 ESPN. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and here in the studio with me today, helping me out with this show is Scott Hanley and Marisol Espinosa of Western Pi Western Financial. I I'm messing it up. <laughs> Pioneer Financial and Properties. All right, there you go. Thank you. Yes. It's not only too many syllables, but too many words for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we were talking in the first segment about flipping homes and some of the opportunities that it creates for um, for home buyers. So Marisol, I'd like to turn to you. And if there's a home that's blighted, broken windows, uh, roof is bad, it, it's not, a, it, it needs to be flipped. <laughs> right. What's the financing like on that? Does the underwriter... It depends. Yeah, so th they do. Just like the buyer, the property also has to qualify for financing. Um, depending on the condition of the property, it's going to determine what kind of loan program they're going to be needing. Um, if it's like a terrible condition, like only doesn't have windows, like it just needs everything done, um, you're going to have to go with more like a private type of loan, um, which come with higher interest rates. You know, how, anywhere how much higher? Like 10, 15, depending on who you decide to go through wow. and then a high down too on top of that anywhere from like 20 to 30 percent down so the terms of the loan are not going to be conducive to a typical first-time home buyer correct okay so let's say the home gets revitalized um, it, it, it's now a in sparkling good condition all the windows are in the roof's good what are the kind of rates that a first-time home buyer can get not just rates but the terms too like as far as down payment right so um, depending um, they could go either FHA or they can go conventional um, and they're looking if they have you know a good credit score 660 anywhere with the 3.25 interest rate which is very low um, and 3. then 3.25 mm -hmm, and then conventional anywhere from like a seen 3.9 up to like a 4.25 conventional so I mean super low and only, you know, anywhere from 3 to 5% down. So the terms of that are good. Smaller down payment. Mm -hmm. Oh, also fixed rate for 30 years. Exactly. Uh, okay, private loans. How fixed are they? And for how long? Well, um, some of them are just interest only. So you're only paying interest when you're holding that property. Mm -hmm. When you're an investor and you're using like a private money loan, sometimes the payments for holding that home um, while you're waiting for it to get sold, you're only paying interest on it. So, mm. yeah, it's a lot different. <laughs> yeah, and then there's probably a balloon payment. Correct. So, yeah, because mm -hmm. I'm sure they're not going to let the investor hold that for 30 years. <laughs> Typically a one-year balloon. One year, okay. But that hopefully is enough time for you to do your magic on the home. Right. The The private money loans are usually geared towards an investor, uh, it would you would be doing your client a disservice if you got them into a home for a primary residence. So, um, and, and 
yes, they do carry a lot higher interest rates, and then they typically carry what are called points on the front end of the transaction, where you could pay, you know, two, three, and even four points, which equates to a percentage rate. So a two hundred thousand dollar loan, if you're paying two percent, there's four thousand dollars out of pocket up front that goes to the finance charge. Correct. Okay, so all of that that you're talking about, Scott, is not going to be conducive to the first-time home buyer. So really what's happening is you're converting a property into something that is affordable for a not only first-time home buyers but a typical owner occupant. Mhm. Right. When purchasing these properties when they have the windows we talked about are all broken and um, they're not in what we call lendable condition, you have to purchase them not only as is, but either with cash or bringing in a private money loan there. And what we do is when we go and remodel the property, we bring we bring it up to value and then we make it lendable to first time home buyers. Okay, excellent. And, and sometimes like that is a better deal than buying some like a home that is at the same value but doesn't have all the nice, you know, stuff like a flip does, you know, like new appliances, like new countertops, new cabinets. So, I mean, sometimes you get a better deal buying something that's recently flipped. <laughs> you, you know, you're bringing out a really good point. So let's say a, uh, a flipper bought a house for $150,000. Um but it has to pay 10% interest on it, even if it is interest only, and had to put a lot of money down. The The cost of that financing might make the cost higher than somebody paying, let's say $225,000 on a 30-year loan at three and a quarter percent. So without doing the math, I'm just thinking that still might end up being cheaper. And of course, safer, uh, more economic, uh, more energy efficient. I'll bet you put dual pane windows in a lot. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, with interest rates still very, very low, it is good to finance some of these things and have it already flipped and prepared to carry on a 3.25% rate, as opposed to someone where, let's say, buying a $200,000 house that's fully remodeled and you get at a 3.25% rate, versus someone buying a $180,000 house but has to put in Mm 20,000 of their own money, well, they might be able to take that 20,000 and put it in a more solid investment where they could get a higher return because, you know, they're financing the the remodeled property into the 3.25% plus the tax benefits of that interest rate. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just unbelievable. Three three and a quarter is what you were saying. Um, FHA is if you have a 660 FICO score or higher. You were showing me a chart the other day. Yes. Um, Tell us about that chart. So back when I was so, I made a career move to be a loan officer back in the early 80s. Can you tell us what the interest rates were back then? Yes, I, well, it was like 18 to 17%. (laughs) Yeah, great career move on my part to be a loan (laughs) officer when, you know. Back then, they had the savings and loan issue too. So, not they, a lot of lenders said, "Yeah, we're we're only charging seventeen and a half today, but we don't have any money, <laughs> so uh, you'll have to that you'll have to get on a waiting list for it." It, it was crazy back mm-hmm. then. So, think of the affordability then. Um, yeah, you might have been buying a house for seventy five thousand dollars, but at eighteen percent interest. 
that monthly payment was up there. Whereas if you pay 200,000 for that same home today with three and a quarter, I haven't done the math, but I would think the payment's cheaper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, all right, it, and, and the good part is three and a quarter is a 30-year fixed rate loan, whereas, gosh, only 10 years ago, there were so, 15 years ago, so many loans were adjustable rate mortgages. Yeah. And, and those uh, jumped around and made it unsustainable for many people. Right, we saw the adjustable rate mortgages and also what's known as the negative amortization mortgages where people didn't even know what they were getting into not realizing that when they were making their payment, their principal, their principal balance was actually going up. As opposed to nowadays, there's a lot safer loans, 30-year fixed loans where, um, you know, the principal balance goes down. I mean, mortgages are front-loaded with interest, but however, it does chisel. And, you know, after 10, 15 years, then the principal balance starts chopping away significantly. So somebody described to us what, what's negative amortization. Negative AM is basically when the principal balance is going up. You're just making a very partial payment towards interest, and then the principal balance is going up. And these got very popular during the housing boom, uh, you know, 2004 to 2006 there. Because that was the steroid era. Exactly. So when, when house values were increasing, people were trying to coincide their principal balance as it was going up and the housing market was going up. So they thought it would be safe. But, you know, 2007 came or 2008 where the crash came, where house values started to decrease. Principal balance started going up. They were locked in adjustable rate mortgages. And it just simply could not be affordable for your average home buyer at that point. Yeah. I, I remember there were people making a $100,000 loan and they had this really small payment, which was only a partial amount of the interest. They, the unpaid interest each month would go on top. So all of a sudden, instead of owing 100,000, they owed 110, 120,000. Right, and, and oftentimes the first time home buyer and some of these borrowers were not informed because at that time in the lending business, you really didn't have compliances, we didn't have regulation, and we didn't have licensing. So therefore, in 2008, something known as the SAFE Act came into play where you have to get an NMLS license. It kind of weaved out some of the, the unethical loan officers at that time. And now there's a lot less, um, you know, competition now with those type of people. And, and there's compliances set in place where we're ensuring good, good loans for our borrowers. I remember way back when, when... Every, it seemed like everybody was a loan officer, but it, because they didn't have to be licensed mm -hmm. as long as they referred it over to a loan officer. And here's people quoting interest rates, quoting terms, describing what an option arm loan is, which to this day is still hard for me to describe. <laughs> uh, and... Um, yeah, they weren't even licensed. Right, not licensed and assisting someone in typically the biggest purchase of their lifetime was set up for disaster there. But uh, we have learned nowadays, and there's a lot less foreclosures on the market today. So um, your average borrower now is going to get put into a loan that's going to be safe and uh, economical and within their budget. 
So it sounds like there's a lot of loan products. So when a borrower comes in and talks to you, you have a menu of loans to go over. And that's what I want to go through in our next segment. So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and here we have Metasol Espinoza and Scott Hanley from Western Pioneer Financial and Property Management. Ma- not management, properties. Properties, yes. All right. <laughs> so in the last segment, we were talking about different types of loans. So when a borrower wants to get pre-qualified to purchase their, their home, whether it be a first one or not, it sounds like you have a menu of different loan products to offer them. How do you help decipher that? How do you help the client pick what loan product is best for them? Okay, so the first thing that I do is take the application. I tell them this is going to give me like an overall profile of where you currently stand. Um, you know, I ask them like, what's you know, what how much are you roughly making monthly, and then how much is coming out? Because you know, as you know, most banks will determine what you qualify for based off your debt to income ratio. So um, not every program is going to fit everybody. Um, you know, I have to kind of determine. You know what? If you go with FHA, you're going to get the lower payment. Or if you go with conventional, you'll get, you're going to get the lower payment. So it's all going to depend on that. Um, once I get an application, I can run the credit, see where the credit is at, what kind of interest rate they would get with an FHA, VA, USDA, conventional loan. And then um, after that, I that's when I start like requesting their documents and then mm-hmm. verify everything that everything. It does match what the application states and then I'll determine, you know what, it's better for you to go this route. Most of our listeners are going to know VA is for veterans. FHA mm-hmm. is, um, it's not for first time home buyers specifically, but that is what fits many first time buyers. But I'll bet a lot of people don't know what USDA loans are. Yeah, no. <laughs> can, can you give us a little brief explanation on that. Yeah. So it's mainly like geared towards more like smaller towns like um, Selma, Kerman, surrounding little areas around um, Fresno County and Madera County. So Madera County, people don't know, actually qualify for USDA, USDA just depending on where the property sits in Madera County. What's the advantage to a USDA loan? Um, the monthly MI is lower and then... Um, MI being mortgage insurance. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And um, the payment ends up, you know, the zero down. That's like the biggest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the biggest um, take on that. So now, and do they have to qualify like no zero down, no money down? Do they have to justify their ability to repay, like show that they have yeah, a job? Yeah, so um, they do. Um, it's a little bit more. There's like income limits. Um, and then the debt to income ratio is like tighter because they're, they're not coming with anything down. It's 100% financing. So the debt to income ratio is very, very tight on those. Um, not everyone. Not, it's not a program for everybody, but, you know, it could help somebody. So so by interviewing these people and taking the application so you know what their income is and their assets, you can help fit it. Correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Because not every one is going to fit into every loan product. 
Exactly. And like when you say debt to income uh, ratio, I could see maybe some somebody comes in and they got great credit, they got their down payment, but they just went out and bought a new truck, and so they're they have enough debts now to where they're going to go beyond that limit. Mm-hmm. So seeing all that, you can move them into a different product. Correct. Okay. Um, isn't that hard? To, so you can do that when you're talking to the people face to face. Yes. Uh, okay. That's mm-hmm. easy. And you get into a discussion. Um, how about the ones that they just want to do it by phone or do it online? Is that a I mean, harder? uh it's not harder because I always have them pick like what is easier for you. Like, is, would it be better if you filled out the application online or over the phone? We can schedule a time um, where I can take it in um, or in person. I like personally to meet people. So I don't I, I like to meet with my clients. Mm-hmm. That way they know who they're you know working with. Right. And you set up a good line of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, now, exactly. recently. I was able to close an escrow thanks to you, Marisol. Um, And thanks to you, too. (laughs) And the good communication between both agents and the loan officer. Because there were issues that came up with both the home and the, the, um, uh, the, I don't want to say the borrower had issues, but there, it didn't, some, it may not have fit into one program, but it did another. So, but with good communication, we were able to work out the timing. On mm-hmm. all that and make it close yes so that in i'm gonna say is a big part of um staying local with your lending um rather than just going online because i don't think we would have mm-hmm. had good communication with the loan officer if the loan officer was in cleveland ohio yeah and if if they messed up they don't have to see me at the gas station. Yeah, you do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. You could just like drive like what three minutes down my office and yeah, say, "Hey, and what the heck is going on?" <laughs> exactly. But I didn't have to do that. Yes. No, you didn't. <laughs> All right. So, um, how long does a loan application take? So let's say they come in the office, they sit down. What should they expect, and what should they expect to bring? Okay, so um, the application takes about five to ten minutes. Um, sometimes a little bit longer if my client has, a, you know, questions, more questions. Um, and then they'll need to bring in, you know, W twos, last year's recent thirty days pay stubs, and then um, their last two years tax returns, bank statements to show that they have the assets in their bank. Um, and yeah, and then there's some miscellaneous stuff that they might have to bring, like if they've, you know, ever been divorced, we need to. Sh- show the divorce decree and stuff like that so well and i always warn my clients too when you go in there's going to be a term oh we need one more document (laughs) so even upon the day of closing ah we have one more document and that's not just from the lenders we realtors do that too right Mm -hmm. scott yeah absolutely (laughs) there's always that one yeah it's like uh, you know i forgot to have you sign this drought advisory (laughs) it is possible on mother earth that we might have a drought so (laughs) yes all right um okay so it doesn't take long um and at that point you can issue a letter saying you're pre-qualified or pre-approved for this amount correct after i review their documentation and make sure that everything looks good then i would issue a pre-approval letter Mm -hmm. um i send it to the 
client and then I send it to their agent. Okay, great. Um, how long is that pre-approval good for? Uh, 30 to 60 days. I say 30 to 60 days um, just because at that point I want to get updated uh, pay stubs because those expire pretty quickly um, and then um, their um, bank statements. Okay. So just, you know, you just have to make sure that they're still on track. They haven't gotten fired or anything like that right. or they quit their job. <laughs> um, and if somebody did, they wouldn't be the first one to quit jobs in the middle of an escrow. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's happened before to me. <laughs> so, all right. Um, why would somebody want a conventional loan rather than an FHA loan or vice versa? I mean, what what's going to do? I mean, there's a lot of like factors because they're, they're so different. Um, I mean, I could give you like a hundred reasons why. <laughs> uh, but the main one is um, conventional is geared more towards someone that has, you know, a little, you know, higher credit score. Um, FHA is more for people who have like maybe a 700 and below, I mean, sorry, 699 and below credit score because they're going to get the better terms. Um, but it, it's not, that's not always the case. Um, you know, like for example, FHA, if you have a visa, you can't get financing with FHA. You have to go conventional. Or sometimes if you have a person who is married and the spouse has a lot of debt, but their credit is, you know, 660, they're going to want to go conventional to qualify because with the FHA loan, we have to include spousal debt. So sometimes that exceeds their debt to income ratio. So um, is it possible to get gift funds? So somebody, a buyer says, you know, I, I, um, I know you need three and a half percent down, but I only have 2000 bucks, but my dad's going to give me money. How, how does that work? Yeah. So we could do gift funds with FHA and conventional. Yeah. Both programs. Okay. And whoever gives that gift, they do have to write a letter saying it doesn't need to be repaid, which is a gift letter. Yeah. Yeah. And then, that makes it a loan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the gift letter and then proof of assets um, that they do have the ability to gift. Mm -hmm. How far can that gift go? I know a parent, probably an immediate family member. How about an employer? An employer. Oh, really? And okay. even a friend. Um, I think even family, yeah, family members, friends, employers. You know, and that might be something for employers to think about out there. If you want to stabilize your workforce and keep people from jumping ship and going to another company, that's, you know, helping them out with the down payment for a mm -hmm. um, uh, home purchase might keep them, well, for one, it'll help keep them in town. Mm -hmm. you know, from taking that job over in San Jose because um, they're not going to be buying too many houses <laughs> over there. Those prices. Yeah. So that's something to think about. Yeah. And that's why even like, for example, like 401k accounts, like you can actually pull from your 401k and then the fees or, I mean, you'd have to check with your retirement account first before I say this, but most of them are a little bit less strict with when you pull out like money for a house. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you. We are going to go to our next commercial break right now, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio 940 ESPN.
Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and we have Mr. Scott Hanley and Ms. Marisol Espinoza here in the studio with us. And we're talking about flipping homes. We're talking about financing homes, just real estate in general. And hopefully all our listeners are getting some good information on, on how to do, how to play this game of real estate, although it's a serious game. So, you know, and play to win. Don't, don't gamble. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, Metasol, I'd like to ask you, what would you like listeners to know? Like what, if you could be on the pulpit for mm-hmm. a few minutes, and, and what do you feel like people need to know out there? That the process isn't as scary as, you know, as it sounds. Um, you know, I think... People are always going to need a place to live. So as long as they're not, you know, going over their budget um, and they can afford the payment, they can get into a home because, you know, it's either going to be paying rent for the rest of your life or paying a mortgage that's never going to go up on you. So as long as you're staying within your budget, you should be fine. (laughs) And And I know that needs to be said that it's not that scary. I remember a big guy. He's a policeman, in fact, and he was. We were going to get pre-qualified for a loan for him, and he was sweating. He was nervous, and I told him, "Hey, it's not that bad." Yeah, it's and really- I think too that they're kind of scared to hear the answer. Like sometimes I have clients where they think they don't qualify, and I think some people don't want to hear that they don't qualify. But you know, it's not that they don't. Qual- they'll never qualify. It's just maybe right now is not the time, and if they meet with someone like me or loan officer, then we can kind of walk them through and let them know, you know what, you need to do this, this, and this, and eventually you can buy your home. There you go. And I would think it's not always a yes or no, it's a how much. Right. So if you have good credit and you have income, you're going to qualify, maybe not for a million dollars, maybe just for a half million Mm -hmm. or a quarter million. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. And Scott, what do you wish people knew? Well, Don, I saw a recent statistic that a lot of people out there still think it takes 20% down to qualify for a mortgage and purchase a home. As we mentioned earlier, there's programs out there with 35 3% down or USDA and VA loans are 0% down. So it's, it's really not as difficult and intimidating as a lot of people think out there. Moreover, um, just because you don't qualify now, it's never a just no, it's a not right now. And if you get with a mortgage expert such as Marisol here, she will give you a roadmap on what to do, on how to establish credit, how to boost your credit, or put you on a budget on what it takes to get to that point. So um, it's, it's never an absolute no, it's just maybe not right now, let's put you on a three to six month program at no cost. And a lot of people think that there may be cost to these consultations. And what they don't know is if you go and get a loan application and get improved, um, it's absolutely no nothing out of your pocket. And, and I want people to know that, that there's not a cost to this stuff. It's free consultation. And get with someone that could, could get you on the right roadmap to home ownership. All right. And home ownership does matter because that sinks roots in the community. It, it's, it's good for the community good for the family 
Right. Absolutely. And, you know, when it's all said and done and you pay off your mortgage and you have a house that we call free and clear, which means that there's no mortgage on it. Well, that's a way to use real estate as acquiring wealth for you and your family. Mm -hmm. I also want to ask a question about interest rates. If you still have that pulled up, if you need a minute, I'll ask Scott another question. Okay. I do need a minute. (laughs) Okay. I, I should have been better prepared for that, but so Scott, is she a great loan officer? The best in the business. And <laughs> you know, that's why real, realtors use her oftentimes, because I want to refer back to communication. And that's what enhances relations. And that's why she's doing so well is because of the communication aspects. She's very systemized, dialed in, and letting the realtors, clients, and everyone involved in a transaction know exactly where the mortgage process stands. You know, that's important, that communication. And, and I'll give you from my side of it. Sometimes you, uh, you, ha- you let's say I'm on the listing side. I'm working with the seller and the buyer comes and says, hey, we need an extension um, because something came up. Well, I, it's important to have communication so you can go to the seller and say, you know, I'm pretty sure this is only going to be another five days, but we do need that your blessing on that. So communication is key. Right. Absolutely. All right. You got it pulled up? I do. All right. So at about what year did interest rates drop below 5%? Below 5%, I want to say, let's see. Approximately. Maybe 2009. Okay. Yeah, 2009. After 2009, yeah. Now, and I have a point to make here. If you have 2004, 2005, okay. what was the rate at, at about that point? 5.64 in 2000, October 2004. Okay. So that was a boom period in real estate. We, we referred to it as the steroid era, but prices were really going up. And yet the interest rates right now are so much less. Yeah. So that ought to show you something that appreciation is not directly tied to interest rates because those were higher Mm -hmm. interest rates and yet the appreciation rate was up. Um, Now, what, how about underwriting guidelines? Um, Have they loosened up, tightened up in the last, let's say two years? Um, I, I feel like where they loosen up, they tighten up like in another area. Like for example, like Mm -hmm. VA right now just came out with um, no loan limit which is huge for our veterans. And then with actually down payment assistance, they've increased the minimum credit score that Mm -hmm. you should have. Um, Before it used to be 640 FHA, now it's 660 FHA. And then if you're trying to go conventional using down payment assistance, it's now 680 instead of the 640, I believe. It was 640, yeah. So I heard something uh, the other day that FICO was saying that they're going to change things and they're going to go to more of an average balance rather than the balance on a particular date. Well, so when they go to rate your, your credit card payments, let's say, and they're going to go with your average rather than saying, well, we pulled it on the 15th and you owed $3,000. Do you feel like that's going to help buyers or is that going to, way down on buyers? I don't know. Honestly, that's a good question. Like it could help some people and it could hurt others. 
I think that would be the right. Yeah, it, it's going to depend. But but the key here is. Keep, like I use my travel card like to get the points. Um, so sometimes that gets like over the 30 percent. But I always pay it in full every month. So I don't know if. So you say over yeah. the 30 percent. What tell the buyers? Oh, yeah. So uh, like when you have that means. Yeah. So when you have like a credit card and it's got a limit of a thousand dollars, for example, if you go over three hundred dollars, which is 30 percent then your credit starts to take a hit and you'll see a drop. The credit score, yeah. So that's important to keep it lower than 30% so that you're not maxing out. And I guess that shows your ability to manage money. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's referred to as credit utilization. And if you even get your... Uh, rate below 9%, which is usually top tier, then that will ultimately help your credit score there as well. And the different algorithms that the credit bureaus are using, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, there's three of them out there for mortgage lending. It is constantly changing, and with the use uh, going to the average, it can help certain borrowers and also kind of uh, hurt and help people. So we'll see what effect it actually does take place. All right. Now I'd like to ask you both for your best real estate advice. Use, use a local lender, right? The be- use a local lender. Yeah, the best advice would be use a professional, um, especially on the real estate end. It, it, it pays to use a professional as to selling your house for a for sale by owner. Typically, a real estate agent will net you more top dollar and get it sold and, and guide you through the process. And Marisol will talk about the local lending. Yeah. So, I mean, use a local lender. I mean, I just pre-approved someone who got turned down by Quicken Loans. Mm -hmm. She came to me for help. And I mean, I was excited for her. I was like, oh my God, you can buy a house now. And she sounded excited too. So, I mean, that's just the difference of like working with someone who doesn't really take the time to review everything. Um, You know, I had asked her some questions like, did did Quicken ask you all these questions? Like, where are you at the process? And she said, no, Quicken didn't even get this far. They said I didn't qualify. You know, very short with her, not really explaining things in detail. When you work with someone who's local, they're, you know, they they go more into detail with you and let you know what you need to do and how everything kind of works. And that's the advantage of dealing locally rather than online. Um, so excellent. Well, I want to thank both of you for coming in today and helping out with um, for our, our listeners, our consumers, and hopefully everybody makes great real estate decisions based on what Scott Hanley said today and based on what Marisol Espinosa said today. So thank you to everybody out there. Thank you, Don, for having thank us. Thank you for having us, Don. You're welcome.